taboos and new freedoms. That's what we're talking about right here today on New Hope Radio. Sometimes people, they're afraid of the grace of God. You know that? That people are afraid of the grace of God. And this is why. They're afraid grace takes the restraints off of life, causes people to sin. You know, there are some pastors and church leaders especially that are guilty of this. They feel it's their duty to control the lives of the people entrusted to them. Well, this brings us to Romans chapter 14 in our series, Roman Gems. I like this series. I hope you do. And we're looking at a chapter a day, digging up some gems to uh, help us in our Christian walk. That's what we're doing. Chapter 14 opens up with the subject of taboos, right? What's a taboo? A taboo is a prohibition. It's a, you shouldn't do that kind of a thing. That's a taboo. Oh, man, isn't Christianity filled with those? Oh, it certainly is. Oh, yeah. So believe it or not, the two taboos mentioned in dispute in Romans 14, the day of worship and food. I'm like, you would think people have deeper things to debate about. The day of worship and food. And uh, though these two matters are mentioned in I mentioned specifically, in principle, I think we can make application to other areas of life as well. So let's see how it goes. Thank you for joining me, New Hope Radio, the Hope Club podcast. Uh, Romans 14, verse 2. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, this is interesting. Believer number one has faith. And therefore, that believer has no restrictions. Believer number two is considered the weak believer, and that's the one who abstains. You know, I think we've gotten it backwards. You've always heard, oh, the strong believer abstains, and the weak believer falls into it. Not according to Romans 14. The strong believer has freedom. It's the weak believer who abstains. Believer number one, he believes that, hey, whatsoever is wholesome and nourishing, whether herbs or flesh, whether enjoined or forbidden by the, for, uh, forbidden by the Mosaic law, may be safely and consciously used by every Christian. But the weak believer number two, by the way, these are the Jews that were converted to Christianity. They can't tell whether the fish is sold or the flesh is sold in the market, whether it's clean or an unclean beast. They don't know. Was it taken, was it offered to an idol? They don't know. Was the blood drained out of it properly? They don't know. So they abstain. So the point with this today is Believer number two is considered the weak believer in faith because he's not yet discovered his new freedom in Christ. 
That's the difference. Believer number one, the strong believer, understands grace. Believer number two, the weak believer, does not understand grace. He still sees Christianity as a system of taboos, of rules and regulations. These are those that think more of what they can do for God rather than, here it comes, what God has done for them. You know what we need more preaching on? What God has done for us. We hear preaching every Sunday what you got to do for God. We need to hear what God has done for us. Because everything God has done for us is grace. One thing is for sure. There is to be no judging one of another. That's what Paul's going to get to. He's going to say, you know, whether you're a weak believer or a strong believer, it doesn't matter. Don't judge the other guy. He said in verse 3, the one who eats, that's a strong believer, he's not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, the weak believer. And the weak believer, you know, that means the new believer, okay? It doesn't mean they have no faith. It means that they have new faith. That's all. So the one with strong faith and discovered grace, don't judge the one that's not there yet, okay? And the one that does not eat, don't judge the one who does eat. For God has, accept, God has accepted you both. That's what he's saying. Who are you to judge a servant of another verse for? To this, his own master stands or falls, right? We all stand before the Lord. He's our master. So we live our life before him. So this is a beautiful revelation that has not gone out of date in 2,000 years. There are strong believers that understand grace and they have liberties. There are weaker believers that haven't yet understood grace and they've considered themselves not to take those liberties. And Paul is saying, fine. Both groups are okay. You have conviction. Live in your conviction and don't judge the other person's conviction. Every person's a servant of God. Don't judge another man's servant. So, again, it's no one's place to judge another person who belongs to God along the lines of what is considered taboo. So, these things that are taboo, it, in this instance it was food. Could be anything else today. Could be anything else that the Bible does not call sin. Okay? That God has given the believer that understands grace, liberty, freedom. But we're going to see at the end of the message, don't use your freedom as a stumbling block for someone else. And don't put your taboo on the person that doesn't see or have the conviction of that taboo. The other taboo we see is the day of worship. Paul said in verse 5, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must fully be convinced in his own mind. All right? So, one guy says, Oh, this is the day we go to worship. Another guy says, Every day belongs to God. 
So he says in verse 6, He who observes the day, observes it for the Lord. He who eats, does so for the Lord. He who gives thanks, for he gives thanks to God. He who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and give thanks to God. So what is Paul saying? If you can follow my crazy reasoning here, what he's saying is, listen, we're all in a different place in our spiritual growth. So let's leave each other alone. And let's all grow in our relationship with God on our own. Again, what's the basis of this dispute? It was between Jews coming into Christianity, and they were bringing with them their Old Testament laws, which have become, to the church-age believer, taboo. The Gentile converts knew nothing of the Mosaic law. So to them, Hamburg was Hamburg. Meat was meat. Didn't matter to them. But to the Old Testament believer that came into the church age, wait a minute now, we're still hanging on to some of these rules and these rituals. And they felt, wait wait a minute, for 4,000 years, Saturday was our day of worship, and now you're saying it's not? I don't know about that. Because they understood it was their religion, their culture, their heritage. The Sabbath principle was introduced back in Genesis chapter 2, where God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he had made. So that Saturday, the seventh day, became a day of rest for the people of God. But remember this, here's what Paul wants them to understand. The The Saturday Sabbath was a type. What does that mean, a type? It was something that pointed to something else. And what did it do? It pointed to Christ. Christ is now our rest. Not a day, but Christ. So, deeper into the New Testament, in Colossians 2.16, Paul could say, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food, or drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Why? Because these are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So he's saying all those things pointed to the coming of Christ, but once Christ came, we don't need them anymore. We have Christ. We have the substance. So, what was the law? The law was but a shadow of Christ. Once Christ came, we have the body, the substance. They they were a sign that guided the people to Christ. Think of it like this. You have the sign, and then you have the destination. Once you get to the destination, you no longer need the sign. Say, oh, I'm gonna, I live here in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I'm gonna drive to New York. So you follow the signs to New York. Once you get to New York, you don't need the signs anymore. Why? Because you're in New York. I don't need those signs. I'm not gonna embrace the signs. I'm here. So all of those festivals and 
dietary restrictions and and feast days, they pointed to Christ. Once we have Christ, we don't need those anymore. Don't need them. So the point Paul wants to make with these people is, don't let your differences divide you, but unite you. Both groups are doing what they believe to be right before God. That's all. The weak believers are saying, don't eat that meat. Paul is saying, if that's your conviction, fine. The stronger believers are saying, I can eat that meat. And Paul is saying, if that's your conviction, fine. Live in your conviction. But don't put your conviction on another person. Or don't put your taboo on another person. One writer said, No man should make his own practice the universal standard for all other people. Let me say that again. No man should make his own practice the universal standard for all other people. Just like each one has their own convictions, we must allow others to have theirs. And I think pastors and church leaders have to have to wake up to this. Because there are many, like I said in the beginning, that seek to control their flock. And I've heard pastors say it. I don't allow my people to do such and such. Wait a minute. They're not your people. They're God's people. And they're all at a different place of growth. So don't put your taboo on your people or on God's people, just because you have a leadership role, we don't have the right to dictate taboos to people. People have to find their own place in Christ. And if you say you don't allow your people, number one, you're overstepping your authority. That's not right. You don't control your people's life. I don't control anybody's life in my church. I present the truth the best I can, and they have to make their own choice on how they're going to utilize it. So we have a whole span of, oops, we have a whole span of applications. We have people that do and we have people that don't. And it's up to them because they stand before God. They don't stand before me. They stand before God. That's what Paul is saying here. This is why some people are afraid of grace. They're afraid to let people live in the grace of God because they think, oh, their way is the only right way. And if you give them grace, they're going to sin. Well, wait a minute. If God gives us grace, who are we not to pass that grace on to others? If God teaches us our salvation is secure, who are we to withhold that truth from people? Because we're afraid of what they might do with it. It's not our concern. If God says, I love everybody unconditionally, I will never leave you nor forsake you, who are we to withhold that beautiful message from people and have them walking on eggs before God? It's not our place. The gospel is good news of Christ. So grace says we have freedom to live our lives before God according to our own convictions. That's the point. Now, your conviction might be different from my conviction. Okay, but I don't have the right to judge your conviction, and you don't have the right to judge 
my conviction. We all stand and fall before our master. See, that's the grace of God. And a lot of folks have a hard time with that. Oh, they do. Maybe they're insecure in their own walk. I don't know. So let me make two final points. Number one, we live our lives before the Lord. But number two, do not cause someone else to stumble. That's important. Yes, it is to God we are accountable. Not one of us, verse 7, lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Okay? So we stand and fall on our own before God. We don't just do our own thing, but we live a life pleasing to the Lord. But number two is very, very important. Do not cause someone else to stumble with your liberty. If you feel free with a particular liberty, that liberty can become sin if you flaunt it before a weaker believer. Paul said in verse 14, he said, I know and I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. I can eat and drink whatever I want, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Okay? So what he's saying is, don't take your liberty and put it on someone else, just like you don't want them to take their taboo and put it on you. So let's say you're living in the first century, and you go down to the market, and you buy some meat that was possibly offered to idols. And you invite dinner guests over, and they're like, no, man, we don't eat meat offered to idols. Don't take your liberty that thinks and says, no, it's okay, you can eat it. If they're not comfortable with it, you don't bring that meat home. You have rice and beans. (laughs) Don't put your liberty on someone else, causing them to stumble, because that's not love. Ah, see, love, there means that there are times that we restrain ourselves with our liberty. If you have to live in a liberty, that's now sin. It's sin. You have to be able to say no to your liberty. And if you can't say no to a liberty that you have in Christ, then you're sinning. Now, all of a sudden, the liberty is not a liberty anymore, is it? It's sin. Living in love means living in restraint. That's love. A liberty is not a liberty when it causes someone else to stumble. A true liberty is always under control. Okay? Love, here's what love never says. I don't care. I'll do what I want. Love never says that. 
Never in a million years. That's not love. Love says, how will this affect the other person? That's what love says. Love says, I have a liberty. But if I'm in the presence of someone that doesn't have that liberty, how will me using my liberty affect them? Now, you might be in a situation where it doesn't affect them. Fine. But if it isn't a situation where it causes them to stumble, not fine. Not fine at all. Now it's not a liberty. Now it's sin. So, you see what we're trying to get at today? There are people that have liberties. There are people that believe those liberties are still taboo, that they're not right. You shouldn't do those things. We have to respect everybody where they are. But we do not put our liberties or our taboos on other people. We all stand individually before the Lord. So that's why even as a pastor, I can't put my taboos or my liberties, whatever I have, on someone else. They have to stand before God according to their own convictions. And so will I. And we will all be judged based on the life we lived. So then we get to verse 20, and Paul is saying, listen, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So again, if if all food and drink is acceptable to you, that's okay. But if you offend someone with it, all of a sudden it becomes evil. Don't do it. With, withhold, withhold it, restrain yourself. He said in verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. There it is. So we say, listen, if your conviction, you want to eat meat and offer to idols and drink wine, and that's your conviction, you can. But don't do it to someone who's not there. If they don't have that liberty, then don't do it. Because if it causes someone to stumble, if it weakens their faith, if it hurts their walk with Christ, now it becomes sin. See, Paul wants us to live in the law of love. The law of love is the life, is a life, here it comes, of sacrifice. That's what it is. The law of love is a life of sacrifice. If you want to live in love, you've got to be ready to sacrifice. You sacrifice your time. You sacrifice your energy. You sacrifice your liberty. You might sacrifice money, whatever. Think of the good Samaritan. He sacrificed his time. He was on a journey when he helped that man. He sacrificed his money. He brought him to an inn. And he paid the innkeeper, take care of this guy. And if it costs a lot, when I come back, I'll make up the difference. I'll pay you. Look at Jesus. He lived in love. And he became a sacrifice. You see what we're talking about today? You want to really live the Christian life? Well, it's not about flaunting your liberties. And it's not about living in legalism. It's about living in love. It's about accepting people right where they are and letting everybody live their life before the Lord and don't judge them for their life. Don't judge them. Now, of course, you might see someone going down the road to destruction. 
Oh, you want to help him? You know, it's like, no, man, don't put that needle in your arm. That, you know, that's not a liberty. Drug addiction, alcohol addiction is not a liberty. Things like that. But you know what I'm saying. We're adults here. You know what I'm saying. We're talking about social liberties. We're not talking about addictions that ruin lives. But liberties can become addictions. We have to be ever so careful. Ever so careful. So that's why I like the way Paul closed. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The ultimate is to live in love. That's the ultimate. Love is greater than your liberty. It is. It's more important than your liberty. And like I said, love oftentimes involves sacrifice. Any mom that loves her child sacrifices. Any dad that loves his child sacrifices. We have a God that loves us. And he sacrificed. He sacrificed himself for all of us. God so loved the world that what? He sacrificed his son. For those that believe would never perish, but have everlasting life. God did that for us. That's love. You want to know what love looks like? You look at God. And you look at Jesus Christ. That's what love looks like. And as we look at them, we learn to imitate that very same kind of love. And if more of God's people lived in that kind of love, ooh, it'd be a better world. It'd be a better church, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a church divided. It would be a church united. Because there'd be no judging. There'd just be love between each and every member of that ministry. Well, I hope that one resonated a bit with you. Next time, gem number 15. Oh, I like this one. God's heart is open to the whole world. What do you think of that? What do you think that means? God's heart is open to the whole world. We'll be in Romans 15. Maybe you want to read it. Get ready for the next broadcast of New Hope Radio or the next Hope Club podcast. Subscribe. Go find us on YouTube, on uh, Spotify, iTunes. Become a follower. Get the messages every day. I want to thank you for coming along. I'll see you next time for more of New Hope Radio.